You're listening to the PMO Strategies Podcast, where PMO leaders become impact drivers. This is episode 51. Hey there, Impact Drivers, Laura Bernard here, host of the PMO Strategies Podcast, and I am so, so excited to share a very, very special guest with you today. We have Andrea Sorelli, the PMO leader for East Boston Neighborhood Health Center, and she is here to talk to us about her team, her PMO, and how they have responded and in some cases made a pivot during the COVID-19 pandemic. And boy, has she got a story for you. This episode is sponsored by Keyed In. Place the right bets, turn quickly, and deliver faster with this innovative approach to top-down portfolio and capacity planning with Keyed In. Looking at adopting a more agile method due to the ongoing crisis, concepts like iterative development, continuous improvement, prioritizing a dynamic backlog, etc. when applied to portfolio management, can deliver a host of compelling benefits that Keedin brings to life. Learn more at keedin.com. So before I let Andrea come on and share her fantastic story, I want to share a little bit of background about how we know each other. So Andrea is a member of our Impact Engine Group Coaching Program, and she joined that program, I guess, over a year ago now, and before that had participated in the first ever PMO Impact Summit that we hosted in 2018. And so I've gotten to know Andrea over the last couple of years being a part of those programs, and it's been really cool to watch her and her PMO evolve over that time. And as all of you impact drivers know, I am all about the PMO pivoting where necessary and evolving to meet the shifting needs of the business leaders in the organization that you serve. And in one of our recent group coaching sessions, when we were in the midst of this pandemic, I asked all of the group coaching students how they were doing and what was going on. Now, knowing that Andrea was in a health center, one of the largest community health centers in the United States, I knew she must have her hands full. And boy, did she share an interesting story with us that she's going to share here today. So I asked Andrea if she would join us, share this story of how her PMO stepped up, made some pivots, and met the needs of the business leaders in their organization. So with that said, I just wanted to say thank you, Andrea, for being here today. Welcome to the PMO Strategies podcast. And it's such an honor to share your story with this community. Thank you, Laura. I'm very excited to be here. This is great. I love your podcast, so I'm excited. Thank you. Oh, thank you. So before we dive into your story, can you share a little bit more about your background and how you landed in this PMO space and maybe a little bit more to give our audience a little bit of a feel of what it's been like to be in the roles that you've been in? Sure, absolutely. I I think I've been in working in project management for 20 years, started when I was three. Of course. (laughs) Didn't we all? (laughs) I've been IT project management. I've been in business project management. I've been a practice manager, a trainer for the profession. One of the things that I've always loved is mentoring and being able to elevate the project managers in their practice. So when I decided to take the role at East Boston Neighborhood Health Center, 
it attracted me for several reasons. It was a very young PMO. They had just started it. It was only about a little over a year old. And they needed someone to really take it on and not only sustain it, which is extremely important, but to be able to help grow it. I've worked in previous roles where we've, I've participated in shutting down PMOs because they weren't effective. I've also participated in, in setting up new ones from the ground up and also consolidating them, some into global project management offices. So this one really sparked my interest. One, because of that reason. And two, because it was also part of the role was that kind of taking project managers also in that same mode of helping them grow their practice. So it's not a projectized organization, but it's rather mixed. There are only five official dedicated project managers. One reports directly to the PMO, to me. Others are dedicated to larger operational departments, but they follow the PMO methodologies and framework to standardize project management across the health center, but they need help, right? And then another piece is really growing the portfolio of projects and putting some rigor and process around that. And I have to say, I love my job. Part of it is I get to work with this great group of medical professionals and operational leaders, some of the best in the area, and they are all very strong supporters of the project management practice. On average, there's like 30 projects in our portfolio that are active at any given time. So some of these project managers are just acting project managers. They're clinical, right? They're operational. Mm -hmm. um, they're medical staff. They're IT analysts, HR. So the PMO provides guidance and support to those individuals as well. So it's not your straight up project management people that have been doing projects for a long time, but it's a mix of everyone, right? And that's how a lot of us get started in the project management practice. We're thrown into it, right? Right, absolutely. And as you know, in the Impact Engine PMO program, we have some students that are a PMO of one and many that start that way. And then over time, they build their organizations, they continue to build credibility, they find their seat at the table, if you will, and they continue to grow and support the organization in bigger and bigger ways. And you must be doing something right if everyone really respects and appreciates the role that the PMO is playing and the project management discipline and structure that you've put in place. So something must be working. So tell me how you guys are responding or initially responded to this global pandemic when coronavirus started to become an issue here in the United States? Sure. Well, when we first learned what was really happening, the coronavirus, we needed to develop our response to the crisis and our emergency incident command was activated. You know, and, and if you're familiar with business continuity plans and things like that, it was, you know, the light switches on and we needed to develop an efficient response to the crisis really quickly. I hate that this is even happening in our time, but what a perfect setting to show the value of project management, right? I sat there thinking, you know, how could I sell our service and our capabilities at this critical time? But I didn't need to. I got a call saying that we were considered essential and we were being assigned to the emergency operations planning team. And it was like Christmas, right? Yeah. <laughs> in the middle of all the awful, it was like, okay, they get it. All right. We're, we're in, we're all in, you know, everybody jump in. But immediately daily morning meetings with all of the PM staff with the executive leadership team were happening. So each PM was assigned to a focus area paired with an executive owner, an executive sponsor. So we were using spreadsheets and slides to update daily and using those to facilitate decisions and action plans. And then those were spawning projects. So work was growing so quickly 
we needed to stay focused and show impact quickly. And mm -hmm. for me, another piece is that how can I best assist the project managers in driving that delivery focused mindset, right? That you're always talking about. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. But that was where I just sat and, you know, and really put a lot of energy into it. You know, it's really interesting. You said what you said there about, I was worried that I was going to have to sell the PMO thinking that in this time of crisis, people might forget that the PMO has a really valuable role that it can play, a really great support function, providing data. And for those of you listening to this podcast, I've been talking about this pretty much every week since episode 40 about things that the PMO and project managers can do to manage better during chaos, to lead the charge and herd the cats as all the chaos is going on around us. And I think it's interesting that you got nervous, but see, I wouldn't have been nervous for you at all because you had done your homework. You had built a strong reputation and you were that trusted advisor that the organization needed and had already built that credibility by doing the things that we talk about, right? You had built that credibility in the organization by delivering on the needs and the pain points. And so when pain happened, when a response was needed quickly, you didn't have to worry about selling, right? And you've heard me say this before, if you're selling the PMO, you're doing it wrong, right? And you didn't have to sell, you got nervous. But the first act that it sounds like you actually did was how can we help, right? You asked the question, how can we help? And you started to prepare before you even got the phone call, which is exactly what I've been telling our students and of course, all of our audience, all of our impact drivers out there. You've got to start being proactive and thinking about how can I help? What are their pain points? What do they need right now? You're doing exactly that. And then you got that phone call and you didn't have to convince they knew you could help them solve their pain, right? It was great. It was absolutely great. I mean, I had my one note open already and I was filling it with what can we do? You know, where can we start? And it was already being decided among the executives that we were going to be part of the equation, which is great. Yeah, Fantastic. So tell us what happened. Tell us the big story about your first of what I imagine will be several taps on the shoulder that you got to help solve a particular business pain point. Well, I think the first of all, we needed to adapt to thrive you know, and adapt quickly, right? One of the first major efforts was setting up the first drive-through testing site for the coronavirus in the Boston area. Mm -hmm. And our mayor announced it publicly and I believe gave us three days to do it. He's a great guy. And we were very <laughs> excited about doing it anyways. You know, we're like, okay, let's get this done. And our delivery process was definitely iterative with an agile approach for sure. All focus areas were engaged and all the PMs were all working in different capabilities to help each other. Mm -hmm. That was great too. Even I was out there the morning we went live with the drive through site, assisting the lead PM with everything from picking up cases of water to kicking the patient label printer, mm -hmm. not physically, but <laughs> <laughs> get it working. I mean, we had to get it working minutes before the patient first showed up to be tested, right? right. I thought my husband was going to drop as he was trying to keep me home during that time long enough for my friends to drive by with a surprise birthday parade because I turned 50 that day. Oh, you know? on your 50th birthday. <laughs> tell you, and, I, and I'll tell you, even though it was my birthday, I was so happy to be there at yeah, that yeah. time seeing how hard this project team worked. And we all know in this profession that those are the most stressful moments, but to go live like that is the yeah. best feeling. Knowing that all the pieces came together so quickly too. This is something that would have taken months 
from design to execution, right? And it was fantastic the way that everyone worked together. This to me, even though it's not the formal templates and gating and structures that you'd see in a lot of places, this was collaboration. This was communications. This was getting the work done, right? Just no matter how and where. So that was awesome. Kudos to the whole crew. So there's some things you said there that I really think are worth highlighting. And I want to dive a little bit deeper as well. So clearly you couldn't have followed your normal process and still made it happen in three days. So that's one thing I want to dive into. But two, I love how you and your team took an all hands on deck approach. This was not a case of hierarchy and roles and structure, and we must follow a formal governance process. I know there was still those things, but you didn't say, I'm sorry, I'm the PMO leader. I'm not going to get water or make sure the printer's working. You stepped up and you ensured that your whole team stepped up and made magic happen. And I have been talking to everyone about the importance of doing that right now and not letting the minutia keep us from seeing the forest for the trees, right? So don't let the individual details of the projects or, well, we didn't dot our I's and cross our T's keep us from getting to the outcome, right? How many times have you heard me say outcomes over outputs? Maybe a thousand. (laughs) Oh my God. And that's so true. And this couldn't be more of a better example. And I think I mentioned in one of our group sessions that one of our PMs said, it's like information is coming from a fire hose. Yeah. And I held check-ins with the core group of PMs. And some of our biggest challenges during that time was, or now, is that the key decision makers, the VP teams, were jumping from meeting to meeting, digesting information and making decisions so fast The question wasn't even about how do we keep track of it? It was, how do we even know about some of this to then keep track of it? And chasing them down a hallway worked only until the social distancing guidelines really got strict. You know, they couldn't go near them. But communicating effectively became so critical with all groups, including between the PMs. And when topping it all off, we had to ensure that we were respectful of leadership's time. So I feel like we got really creative. Maybe that's that entrepreneurial thinking that you're always talking about too, is that we did, we got creative about how to exchange information with each other and how to get it from our executive leaders so that we can help use it, the data that we're getting to facilitate decisions, to keep things on track and get the work done. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing. So you don't have to throw everything out the window and just have the wild, wild west, right? But it's about knowing how you can help accelerate getting to impact. And so you do have to make some decisions. Do you need all 63 steps of this checklist in order to make sure that you can achieve the outcomes? Maybe, maybe not. And being able to ask those questions and knowing in the moment, being able to handle the fires and say, this is what we need right now, creates a real opportunity for PMO leaders to step up into a leadership role and to earn that seat at the table if they don't already have it. You're absolutely right. And, you know, we talk a lot about keeping the seat at the table. I know that. And and it really was important to me to feel that our team in the PMO is valued, which it is, you know, this is proof here, but it is, it's so true. It's not about just being a team that checks off boxes or PMs just, you know, checklist makers and things 
that. We were very lucky to get assistance from a consulting firm that helped us set up some tools because I, as I mentioned, we were just using spreadsheets and slides to just update, do up daily updates. So they helped us use a tool that we all kind of adopted quickly yeah. that had some dashboards and things like that, which was great because the PMs really shifted quickly on, I got to learn the tool. It was simple enough. I mean, I'm all about uh, if it's something that can be easily adopted, then it will be sustainable. Right. Um, so, and it will be effective in everything, communication and metrics and all of that. So we did. The team, once again, shifted gears and they said, wow, this is a whole new tool I'm going to use. And we did. Every morning we were pulling it up. We were editing it. We were sharing it with each other. And we found that it was a way to keep informed between the PMs as well of the work that was happening. Yeah, that's great. And we keep referencing the seat at the table. And I just have to share that one of the, I think the first conversation you and I had in either before you joined the group coaching program or when we were in one of our first private sessions, you said something that has always stuck with me. And this is some of our students come to us in this position. You said, I have a seat at the table and I want to make sure that I keep it. And I said to you, well, you are in the right place. And we have students, as you know, in the group coaching that come from starting their first PMO, PMO one to people that have been doing it for a long time and multiple PMOs or their PMO has been around a while and they need to continue to evolve it to meet needs. But the key is making sure that what you're doing is meeting those needs. And that's how you earn your seat at the table and maintain that seat at the table and get tapped on the shoulder when there is an urgent need. When, when things are blowing up, you want to be the organization, the team that they call. And speaking of getting phone calls, I understand that you just got another call on Sunday. Tell me about that. Yes, absolutely. Well, you know what, now that we're progressing through the COVID-19 world, the incident command has called upon the group again to now develop a response to the crisis in an attempt to work backwards, right? So we have to restructure, reopen. I mean, there's so many ways you can call what it's like to start business up after this pandemic. I was very excited to be informed that the PMs will be working again with the emergency operations coordinator and the PMO will oversee the stage. It's really important to me because that shows, that's a reflection that the team did great. And you know what? I think a lot about our conversation back then when I mentioned they have the seat at the table and I have to keep it. I think a lot of PMOs, and I was a PMO of one too, right? I think until right. November of last year yeah. when I got a PM to report up to me. But a lot of us in that role of PMO one, they feel like they have to keep the seat it's more of a, how am I going to do this by myself? Yes. Right? yes. And it's not. I am a huge believer in elevating your PMO or PMs or anyone who's working in the profession or doing the work, right? Because if you give them that opportunity for growth, they will shine. And sometimes I meet regularly as much as I can with all of the PMs, but sometimes I just listen to their plan and they say, well, I'm struggling with this. And look what I have planned out. And I just listen and I say, I don't give them any advice unless absolutely needed. They tell me, and most of the time they don't even realize that they nailed it, right? Mm -hmm. So give them confidence, help them to grow because what happened? They all do a great job. And then 
here is that value indicator. The value indicator is the PMs that are executing well. Mm-hmm. And if they're being mentored and shaped by the PMO, then I've done my job. I've done a good job because that means I have, whether or not they're directly reporting to me or they're here for some mentoring and some help and guidance and framework or tools, whatever they need, if I'm providing that level of service and also being that trusted advisor of how we doing with this strategic planning or how what help we need with making decisions, then that to me is all encompassing when it's about keeping that seat, right? Right. Um, but we have to, we need help with that along the way. And yeah. we need to get that check, that double check away, doing things right. Are we really providing that level of service? Right before COVID hit, you saw my plan. I was working on the questionnaire for my executive sponsors. It wasn't just how are we doing. It was what's keeping you up at night, right? Exactly. Uh, and I'm so happy glad that- I couldn't send it, you know, because <laughs> this happened. But it is always about getting feedback and growing. And I think that happens a lot with PMOs that slow down mm-hmm. and eventually don't make it is because they didn't evolve and they didn't switch gears. They weren't agile. Right. right. Right, exactly. And as you know, the Impact Engine PMO training program is an agile implementation approach to the PMO. It's not a big bang solution because those fail more times than they work, many more times than they work, but it is an iterative evolving process of building your PMO or updating or accelerating your PMO's ability to deliver impact. And what you're talking about that you were doing in the beginning of the year was part of your annual health assessment, health check process on your PMO and checking in with your stakeholders and seeing how things are going, you know, how they're doing. Little did they know that what was going to be keeping them up at night, which is a question I tell you to ask, was going to be the COVID-19 pandemic within weeks of when you were going to send that survey out anyway. But that's a really important part of the process. And that's one thing that I think is super critical that helps you maintain your seat at the table or helps you maintain your credibility for the PMO in the organization is that you are checking in to see how things are going and feeding the stakeholder feedback and the current pain points and business needs and listening to what they need from you to shape where you spend your energy in the PMO and the services and capabilities you provide. So that allows you to continue to follow the framework of the impact engine life cycle in continuing to evolve and iterate and meet the needs as they shift. And That's why the last module of the program is kind of, okay, now go back and assess the organization for impact opportunities and figure out where your next needs are, right? That's why it's an iterative evolving roadmap that we go through. So I think it's fantastic. You're just such a great example. We have so many fantastic students like this that are such a great example of applying that strategic business partner, trusted advisor, or as I like to call it, strategy navigator mindset to how you are engaging in the organization. And it opens up so many opportunities for the PMO to shine and truly be that center function, that critical, as you said, an essential part of the operations of the organization. You become that engine that helps the organization run. Yeah, that's a great feeling, let me tell you. No, but I do, and, I, and I, I'm blessed with, like I said, working with such a great team. And I meet with the VPs regularly over their portfolio pieces, but I highlight when they tell me they give up a pain point, right? I highlight it, and I use that as a basis, too, of tracking 
my own personal assessment for the PMO, mm-hmm. right? So that was my inputs too, to with the assessment to really start looking at, you know, okay, with my 90 day action plan for this year, I know we got sidetracked, but I think that also has been something that's been not new, but it's something that I've um, had the ability to pay a little more attention to that listening to the stakeholders and listening to their pain points and say, you know, I wish we could do this, or I wish we could make these meetings more efficient or separate project work from operational work. And how do we keep that going? And I got a little chance to start that with one of them before this all hit as well. But doing that assessment regularly and whether or not it's, it's formal or just in conversation in a regular meeting with them and noting that and doing acting on that or caring to act on it is just as big, but it provides opportunity. It provides so much opportunity for the PMOs to look at what they can provide as a service or what they can assist with outside of the regular execution, controlling, and monitoring. Of course, right? And so you and I know this stuff, right? And we've been doing this stuff for a while. And this is definitely stuff that I talk a lot about in the program because I think you've touched on a couple of really interesting things there. You talked about how you had a 90-day plan that you were going through in the first quarter of what your PMO was going to do this year. And you were going through your process of reassessing and laying out your roadmap for the year. And then this pandemic hit. And you didn't say, well, no, no, I'm going to stay focused on my roadmap. You shifted gears immediately and started thinking about how can I pivot what we were going to do to respond to the needs as they have evolved, which is exactly right and exactly why you've got that seat at the table. And then also the other thing that you did was you looked at the strengths that you guys have. You looked at where you could provide value and you created this alignment between that need that was identified, the people that you had, not just people that reported directly to you, because as you said, you're leveraging all of the people in the organization and building one big team of people that are all aligned towards that shifting mission, right? One thing you said in our conversations before we started this episode was about how your first call to action and the first way that the strategy for the health center shifted was how do we keep people out of our facilities so they don't come here and get sick? And then you had to put all of this stuff in place to quickly support and respond to that need. And then what happened? You know, it's interesting because I I just found it so profound that when it was mentioned in a meeting I was at, and it was said like that, it's like we spent so long building this health center to get people in. Yeah. Now we're trying to keep them out. And I've been in the project management practice a long time and people don't always like change. We know this, but that's a huge shift. That's a flip upside down. Right. And then also, so part of the projects that were spawned out of all this work was, okay, so now we're keeping people out, but we still need to keep the lights on, right? Right. And so we need to get visits in the door. Right. So how do we do that without actually coming through the doors? So we need telemedicine, you know, video, audio. So there's been a ton of work and project work to get that happening. And this is all new workflows, the clinical. So everybody needs to change. So our PMs have now become strategy people and now they've become change navigators, right? And I've seen them totally grow. And a big piece of this is that I wish I had more opportunities during the week or have them every other day, but I check in with the project managers and we were sat at our groups 
as a PMCOE or the Center of Excellence. You know, I try to give us a fancy name, but then it turned into let's just do some breathing work and some pulse checks, right? Because yeah. we went from like the project managers are always like the messengers that get shot, right? The people that heard the cat. Then that now they're like, okay, let's keep people breathing. You yes. know, you're going to keep people going. So we need someone to check in on us too. Right. So, you know, I try to get them together and just talk about, hey, listen, what are our struggles, mm-hmm. right? We're supposed to be like the mom that holds it together when we're not. So how do we get it out? Let's work things out. Let's work out the kinks. And you know, what's funny is that I got some feedback from the PMs and they were like, before they felt like they were working in silos, right? Mm-hmm. Especially the ones that were doing other roles, like clinical or admin. Now they feel more confident in changing the way they do regular project work because it's more of community, right? That they're able to share this stuff with their colleagues or they've had the same struggle looking at trying to build a project plan in Excel and, you know, when getting stuck on certain things or we all help each other or just the exchange of data and communications or how we manage change and uh, risk. So it's helped the PMs grow with each other, which is awesome. It's been a lot of evolution in just the last two months, and it's fantastic. Well, that's really cool. It sounds like you've built a real community with your project managers and those that are playing project management roles, even if they don't officially have that title. And that is one very critical service that the PMO can play right now is just bringing people together, giving those that are used to taking care of others a place that's safe to take care of themselves and for the PMO to support them and check in on them and how are you doing and what do you need? And sometimes that might be, I just need you to have my back and make sure that we've got bottled water, right? And that's exactly what you did is you responded to the need without being asked to just show that PM that was leading that effort that you had their back and were making sure that they knew that you were there. And that's such an important role that the PMO can be playing right now. And something I've been trying to do in these free trainings and free Q&As that we've been having every week or so about how to manage projects during chaos. Two things that you said were really important there is one, we start each session with take a deep breath. (laughs) You've got this. Let me hear a pulse check. Yes, exactly. Take a deep breath. You've got this. This is what you do for a living, right? We're the cat herders. And in some cases, the herder of the cat herders in the MO space, right? And this is what we do. We manage chaos. We manage change. And if we go to our strengths, we can make this happen. So I've been trying to share that as an example of Take care of your people, take a deep breath, create a community, support each other, and you've got this, we've got your back, and you will get through this. So I think it's so cool that you've done that. Yeah, and Laura, it's so important. And I've carried a lot of PMOs or people who lead PMOs, and some don't always feel comfortable with doing that, but they also don't understand the full value of doing it. And it's a passion of mine. I love being able to elevate the team no matter how I do it, right? But it is, and it's reflected in what others see, right? Mm -hmm. So here, I'll share some feedback I got yesterday from, you know, our executive leaders. They said they're recognizing the strength in project management, that there's opportunity to mentor and train in project management, best practices, cross-pollination, right, was another word that they use of doing this. And one thing that was said during this, our PM group meetings, they'd 
invited them to it. They said the PMs were part of the design team on this. Yeah. I don't think anyone on the call had realized that. I think they were in autopilot and they just thought, okay, I'm a PM and I was invited to this and I'm going to do the work and get it done. But they weren't. They were part of the design team. And they actually said they didn't know how they could have responded to COVID this well without the PMs. And that made me so proud. Like like I said to you earlier, it was like a, a mom. You know, it's like yeah. my kids getting married to something, you know? Right. It's but, such um, a huge win. I mean, that's a huge thing to celebrate is that when you got there, when you first started in this role, most people had no idea what project management was going to do or how it was going to help them. And that's what we're always talking about is, listen, they don't know the value of project management. So don't go saying, what can we do for you? You go say, what are the pain points? What are your challenges? What isn't working? And then you design the way that you can solve the problem based on the need. And then you're able to clearly connect the pain point they had to the solution you provided and show how you can achieve that outcome they're looking for and the impact on the organization. And you so clearly did that. And it's all evidenced in the testimonials you got from your business stakeholders who are not project management experts on the value project management and the PMO played in achieving some really big results quickly. So that's such a wonderful win to celebrate. So congratulations. Thank you. And I'm certainly not taking any of the credit on that. I think I don't think any of this really could have happened without the support of the entire leadership team. That is so critical. To be honest, that is one of the reasons why I looked forward to taking on this role because it had that upfront support and just the engagement, the true engagement of them, the understanding of the value that project management had, even though they hadn't fully executed it, well, they did bring it all together, but it really starts there. And it's challenging because I have been in places before where you don't get that full support. You spend a lot of time talking about how to get that and how to show value to get that and provide those services. So I mentioned this before, it was like, no one ever tells you or proves to you that, oh, something was done right until you're in it and you're thinking about it. Like I said, I have tons of books on how to build an executive PMO, how to build a strategic PMO, how to mature it with the capability models and all of this stuff. But when going through some of this work and you say, okay, what's some of the best practices on how to do this and knowing that, okay, well, I'm on the right path. And knowing on the right path, how do I accelerate that? How do I now evolve it properly? Because I feel that maturity models can be put in text and put in a roadmap, but it's not a one size fits all or anything. So you have to know your organization. You have to know the people that are going to be managing the work. And you have to adapt to grow it based on that um, baby steps. I came from a methodology and framework that had like five different gating markers that we had to get through, right? Over a hundred different types of templates that, you know, used for finance and procurement, all this stuff. I could never use any of that here because it's just a different climate. To be totally honest with you, it took a year for anything to get done in the other world, Right. right? There were too many roadblocks. Here, you're faced with creative conversation, using the right tools that work for the right environment, and watching the decisions being made effectively. And it's great. It's a great feeling. It's great to be part of that. Like I said, I'm very proud of this team. We're trying to make a playbook to share with other community health centers 
that don't have this in place. And that's great too, because you've got to help each other out, especially the nonprofit world, the community health centers don't always have the facilities or the capacity to do it. But once again, it's right up my alley, wherever I can help, love doing that stuff. I love being able to help elevate someone else to be able to do this work. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's really cool to see how your PMO and even your own career and your own skills and capabilities have evolved in the time that we've known each other. And it's so cool that you were an attendee at the first PMO Impact Summit and got a lot of great resources and tools there. And now you're going to be speaking at the 2020 PMO Impact Summit, because not only did I want to share your COVID-19 response story and how the PMO has been a critical component to that, but I think you've got a really interesting journey in your career and how your PMO has evolved and how your career has evolved. And so we're going to talk about that and some other interesting things as a part of the 2020 PMO Impact Summit. And so you want to make sure everyone that's listening that you sign up for the 2020 PMO Impact Summit at PMOImpactSummit.com because you're going to get to hear more about Andrea's story and the evolution of the PMO. And would you like to share, Andrea, a little bit about what you're going to cover in that session? This is exciting for me. I really will share a little bit about how in your program too, I had set out PMO goals right up front, providing strategy transformation to help provide business transformation. I'll talk about how we've done some of that already. I'll also talk about how I go through the impact engine. I don't want to say guidelines because they're really not. They're best practices to do. Keeping my team in focus, measuring the outcomes, and really all the adapting to thrive that I was just talking about, but really transforming my, the PMO and the people involved in it and the mindset that we have. You know, we're always talking about value. And I feel like I got so much value out of the first PMO Summit. And I want to be able to share how I, because of that, because of the program, because of the, all the little tools that my toolbox has because of YouTube, have helped my role as PMO leader evolve in how the PMs and the practice has evolved. So I think you'll hear more about my evolution or the evolution of my work. Yeah. which is always interesting. I would have loved to hear that from other PMO leaders too along the way. So I hope I will be able to provide some value to somebody else as well. I want to talk about how we showed impact quickly to build capabilities. But really the big thing is, and I still strive for this daily, is to help people understand that they can use a PMO regardless of our tools and our implementation methodologies. They're the strategy, a navigator, or help drive decision-making. Let's list out pros and cons, and let's get working sessions going to talk about all this stuff. Mm -hmm. So there'll be a lot of different things that I talk about. But once again, I hope it's what I would have liked to hear from somebody else, right? Right. Exactly. My journey. exactly. And as you know, I built my first PMO back in 1999 and I had a similar journey that you did with, I had all the books and I had attended some training courses. And when I applied what I was learning, which was a lot of theory, quite frankly, it didn't work, mm -hmm. right? It just wasn't practical, actionable. And frankly, it sent my stakeholders running in the other direction. And when I stopped doing all that and started listening and paying attention to their pain points and the business needs and paid attention to where the business was going and anticipated the problems that they were going to have and started figuring out how to solve the problems they had identified, 
Then my career really took off. My PMOs were far more successful. And I learned so much about how to really truly provide value and create an impact engine PMO, right? So the whole reason we do this summit and host this free event every year is because I wish I had me when I was you, right? (laughs) So that's why I do everything I do. That's what drove me to start my own company seven years ago was because I didn't have those resources. And so I think it's really cool to be able to give back and share so many brilliant thought leaders in this space with this audience and make it available to them so that they can participate for free every year. And also, I think it's really neat that you're doing that same thing in saying, I wish I knew this back when I was trying to do this for the first time. And if I can share this stuff and help somebody else not have to make any mistakes along the way, then I win, right? Then we all win. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's so exciting. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for sharing this really cool story of your PMO's response and pivot in many ways during the COVID-19 pandemic. And I'm really looking forward to sharing more about your story and your own career in PMO evolution at the 2020 PMO Impact Summit. So that's right around the corner. I know. I'm so excited. And thank you, Laura. And thanks for all the work that you do. I know you help so many of us, but it's great to having the sounding board that you are and and everything else. But I appreciate it. And I love your podcast. So please keep them coming. Oh, absolutely. And it's so exciting. You're going to be on one of the episodes. So that's so great. So thank you so much for being here today. And all of you impact drivers listening, I hope that you've gotten some great takeaways on very actionable and practical things that you can do today to start providing even more value in your organization and really finding out the pain points, the opportunities, the needs right now today, and how your PMO can pivot or step up to address those pain points and earn, or in Andrea's case, keep that seat at the table in driving ever more impact in your organization. And a huge thank you to our PMO Impact Summit sponsor, Keydin, for supporting us and helping us make this fabulous event free to all of you. Place the right bets, turn quickly, and deliver faster with this innovative approach to top-down portfolio and capacity planning with Keydin. Looking at adopting a more agile method due to the ongoing crisis? Concepts like iterative development, continuous improvement, prioritizing a dynamic backlog, etc. When applied to portfolio management, can deliver a host of compelling benefits that Keydin brings to life. You can learn more at Keydin.com. That's all for today. Thank you so much for being here. Don't forget to sign up for the PMO Impact Summit. It is free and it's coming to you this September. So make sure you check it out at pmoimpactsummit.com and I cannot wait to see you there. All right, bye-bye for now.